0: Talking Torah, learning stuff, having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact us, you can call the show at 844-999-9249. That's 844-999-9249. Or email us at letstalktorah, no apostrophes, at gmail.com. Or you can join our Facebook page at Let's Talk Torah. The holiday season is now behind us. We've had uh, many weeks with Rosh Hashanah, the uh, holiest day of the year, the Judgment Day, Yom Kippur, the Sukkot holiday, the Simchat Torah holiday, where we all had lots of fun running around, dancing, a great time. And I actually brought a guest again today, a repeat offender. She's been here before. That's Esty. Esty, how are you today? Good. Great. Actually, today, Leonard, you didn't, Leonard, you didn't know. Today is bring your daughter to work because her mother needs her out of the house day. (laughs) Did you know that? Mm -hmm. That's just one of these holidays that comes up. It's uh, pretty long, and I'm sure there's good um, uh, ways of saying it shorter, but uh, this is what today is. So we just finished Simchat Torah. Simchat Torah, did you have a good time? Yeah. Yeah, got any candies? Yeah. You did get candy. You ran around? Yeah. Had fun? Yeah. Can you say anything more than Yeah. (laughs) Uh, If you can think of anything more than a one-word answer, we can't wait. Anyways, um, this week's topics are going to be something I think very important for you, Estee, because it's yesterday's Torah portion is the first Torah portion in the Torah. It's called Bereshis or Bereshit. It is the first Torah portion. We finished on Simcha Torah, and then since yesterday was the first Saturday, the first Shabbos, we start again anew. Well, in school, every week, you try to learn the Torah portion, but you didn't have school last week, so you missed out on a whole Torah portion. But don't worry, I am here to inform and teach you. Are you ready? You can say yes again. Excellent. Okay. Uh, We're going to talk about um, why does the Torah start at the beginning of creation? I mean, we're used to it because we've read the Bible, we've read the Torah many times. I actually met a fellow in the airport the other day and he was trying to tell me that he was Jewish and I should read the Bible and I would know why he was Jewish. And I kept begging him for him to tell me, just give me a hint, tell me. I'm so you know, he said, no, you just read the Bible. I said, I read the Bible a lot. Um, he was not helpful. He just said, read the Bible, which I do, by the way. So everybody's familiar. We start at the beginning. The world is created. God creates the world, heaven and earth, light, darkness. We're pretty familiar with that. But a... A, a interesting question to think about is, if the Torah is a law book, if it's supposed to tell me what God wants me to do, so just start with the laws. Right. And if you're worried about the stories, we have the oral law, the oral tradition, we have other ways of learning stories. We don't even, I mean, for those who have read the Bible, the Torah, there's not very many details in this creation. Right. Light, darkness, heaven, earth, sun, moon, stars, plants, trees, animals, fish, birds, people. I mean, I still didn't get too much information there. Water separates with land. So anyways, I'm not getting a lot of information. So we're going to talk. That's one thing we're going to spend a lot of time talking about. You ever heard this question before? No. We got something else different than a yes. Okay, excellent. With that, we're also going to talk about the Jewish claim to the land of Israel. We're going to try to get into what happened each day of creation, and um, of course, before we start, I'd like to say hello to Jake, who's behind the glass today. I think I got a hello. Hi, how are you? Great, Jake. Thank you for coming in. Greatly appreciated. Ben, we hope you feel better if you're listening. I know you do listen. Uh, ben was not able to be here, so today, Leonard is going to have to banter with me, and we'll see how well prepared he is, but okay. I wanted to tell you something very interesting. I keep trying to make blogs, and Elizabeth keeps telling me that I'm the only one making blogs, so we need some other people to write. Right. So I sent you in a great blog this week. Okay. So uh, my daughter will help me a little bit okay. during the Sukkot holiday. What did our dining room table look like? Was it clean? Speaking to Mike, was it clean? Was everything set beautiful on the dining room table, or was there like other stuff? There was Lulav and Esther. How many do you think were there? That's remember last week the palm branch, the etrog, or the citron. How many were there? Do you think on the table? Just guess. Like five. Five of each. Anything else on the table? Um, I don't know. You don't know. Were there jackets? Were there hats? Were there books? Was it just an overall general like chaos on the table? Well, was it messy or would you sit down by the table and eat? It was messy. It was messy. That's what I need you to tell me. So this is your dining room table where everyone's supposed to be neat and clean and everyone comes into the house and that's uh, everything centers around the table and we would call it a disaster. Even Mommy, who loves a clean house, didn't even bother with that table, right? So let me tell you what I thought when I saw that table because Mommy likes clean or messy? Clean. Very clean, right? You turn around, what happens to your stuff if you don't clean up? It goes in the garbage. It goes in the garbage. I said, there you have it. So so I thought of the following beautiful story. I did write it up as a blog. As soon as Elizabeth puts it up, it will be up there. But here's the story. Mm -hmm. I believe this story takes place in Persia. I know it's somewhere in the Middle East. It's an old story. There was a couple, a husband and wife, a little bit older, no children, for many years, maybe married 20 years, and they were getting ready for the Passover holiday. And as always, the wife is a little sad. There's no children around in the house. And the in those areas, the Passover Seder is not just like on a table. There's cushions and, and linens and glass and china. And it's a very beautiful setup. And I guess you have to do a good balancing act because they sort of sit towards the floor on a very low table. And everything is beautiful and amazing. And they... The the husband is, is running the show and his wife is listening and she's serving and she sighs and the husband says, is everything okay? And she says, you know, it would be so nice if we had children to share the holidays with. And the husband tries to comfort her and the meal moves along and then there's a knock on the door. You ever hear this story? Yeah. Oh, because I told you this story. Right. Oh, I just told you this story. Right. Very good. Excellent. So don't uh, give it away since I just told it to you. So a man knocks on the door. The wife goes, opens the door, brings the man in as a guest, sits down, offers him to eat. He eats. He hangs around. Um, after the meal, we actually pour a special cup, and it's called the Cup of Elijah. Okay. And uh, the, the, it's those who explain that Elijah visits every house, and he comes in, and he goes. He's like an angel. He could be everywhere at once. Okay, that's, you know, we're not going to worry about that so much. But anyways, at the point of the pouring of the cup of Elijah, the man stands up. And he says to the couple, very beautiful table. I hope next year this table is one big disaster, one big mess. And he leaves. And the wife is beside herself. Why did he curse us? What did we do wrong? We, we treated him so nicely. We fed him. I don't even know who he was. He came in. He left. This is what he said. And very unhappy. Fast forward, nine months later, they have a little child, uh, get again to the Passover Seder, and the, and the table's again set, beautiful and set and crystal and china and food and wine and the cushions, and the mother's holding a baby like mothers do. And right around the end of the meal, getting ready for the cup of Elijah, again, there's a knock on the door. So the mother get, now mother gets up. ...to answer the door, and the baby grabs the tablecloth. So she gets up, he yanks or she yanks, the table just... ...everything falls, breaks, mess, disaster. She opens the door, the man comes in, and he sees chaos. And he says, this is what I blessed you with last year. End of the story. So that's what I thought when I saw all this... ...I don't want to call it a mess, but almost chaos... On an area in their house, and I know my wife loves things to be clean and neat, and she left it all. I had a lot of children home and grandchildren. It was really very a very beautiful um, week with the holidays and the children. So that's your choice. You could have you know meticulous, it could be clean, and sometimes you can have chaos, and I think sometimes we want chaos. Right. That was the story. I said it over good. Yeah. excellent. I got another yes. okay, so. Um, everyone is probably familiar with the first verse, the first posik in the Torah. Are you familiar with it, Esti? Yeah. Go ahead. Veracious bar Yeah. Four more words. Veracious bar kim That's the Hebrew. Go ahead. Beracious bar elekim. S. S. Vasa Ar. Well done, excellent. Do you know what it means? In the beginning, Hashem created the land and the earth. Well, Heaven and Earth, but the order is fine. Excellent. You could take over my seat in the beginning. God created the heaven and the earth that's the first verse. so Rashi, who we're going to talk about today a a very famous, very important eleventh century commentator um, and really, really the leading commentator on the Torah on the Bible, asks what we started talking about before. Why does the Torah he the question he asks is why does the Torah begin with the creation of the world begin with the first commandment which happens to take place in the uh, in chapter twelve in Exodus about uh, the new moon. However, when Rashi says this question and this is the first Rashi in the Torah, he says um, Rabbi Yitzchak says this question. And he answers the question with, the Hebrew is koach of higid la'amo. I won't test you on that. It means God is showing his strength to the nations. Um, I want to talk about that Reb Yitzchak. We're going to put him on hold. But just try to remember that we started out saying that Reb Yitzchak said, this is Rashi quoting someone by the name of Reb Yitzchak. So says Rabbi Yitzchak, he asked the question, he gives the answer that God wanted to show his power to the nations. So Rashi says that means as follows, and this is the answer to why it is necessary for the Torah to start with creation. So Rashi says that a time will come when the nations of the world will come to Israel and they'll say, What are you doing in this land? This is not your land. Who said you had a right to take it? You came, you conquered, who said you had a right? I'm not sure why they don't say that to other nations throughout history who have conquered. Persians, Romans, Greek, people could tell you. Americans, if you'd like, right. you pick your country. Russia, it doesn't seem to matter. Mm-hmm. For some reason, the nations of the world will say this. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the UN. But in any case, um, so therefore, the Torah says, Torah starts, God created the world. It's my world, God says. I can do with it as I please. And therefore, I gave the land to the Jewish people. And no one can have any complaints about that. So I once heard a man say, um, every time the UN gets in there and says, uh, you know, why do you have this land? You don't deserve this land. You shouldn't be living here. You don't deserve to be here. Other nations get up. Really, someone should get up and say, hello, I have a Bible here in my hand. I have a Torah in my hand. The Torah says, God gave the land of Israel to the Jewish people. Now, you might say, huh, that's a Jewish book. But there's billions of people in the world who agree with everything the Torah says. Did you know that? Billions. No, you did not know that. Okay, I'm telling you now. Very good. Because both the Christians in in the New Testament and the Muslims in the Koran both agree that everything in the Torah is correct. Well, Another day we'll talk about it. They just want to continue from where the Torah left off, which is, again, a, a discussion for another day which the Jews say it did not leave off, it ended. God chose us, end of story. Christians and Muslims disagree with that. That, again, will be not today's conversation. But if everybody agrees that what the Torah says is true, so why don't you simply say in the UN, why are you bothering us? God said it's our land. Uh, We will leave that as an open-ended question. But it seems they haven't tried. I have some reasons why it might not be such a good idea to try because... Perhaps they could say, um, as soon as you follow the rest of the laws in your Torah, those, right. most of those people um, running the country are not religious. So if I get up and say, the Torah says, you, you have no answer to me. Right. But if uh, somebody who's not religious gets up and says, well, the Torah says, then I would say back, um, you know, there's a whole book here. Which part of the book do you believe in? Because you can't pick and choose one line and say this one we like and the next line we don't like. Does that make sense to you? Another yes. I am doing well with the yeses. Excellent. Very, very good. Okay, now, I want to get back to talking about this interesting quote because the commentaries is mentioned. Now, you have to understand, this Rashi commentator, there's at least dozens of rabbis who have written their own commentary to explain this Rashi. And many of them ask, Rashi says he is quoting the, from, the, from the Midrash. The problem is, when you look in the Midrash, there's no Rabbi Yitzchak. So who is Rashi quoting? He says, it's like the first words that Rashi has in this tremendous, uh, as you would say, magnum opus for many people. This amazing commentary. He starts with, with this, so says Rabbi Yitzchak, and no one knows who he is. Well, I thought no one knows, but I asked a group of people and they said, yeah, my teacher taught me 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, but okay, I'm going to teach you today. First, I want to talk about who Rashi was. Again, he is the commentator. He is like the father. His 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 commentary is so amazing. You never saw a book like this. I teach third graders, so younger than my dear Esty over here. Mm-hmm. So little children, how intelligent could they be? They learn this, this commentary. Okay. And at the same time, the greatest rabbis are also studying this commentary because okay. he wrote it. I mean, you couldn't do that in a physics book, you know what I mean? Right. right? And as little children learn one plus one and then, you know, two times two and then your division and your fractions and everything's moving up, right? right? The, the great ones are not, I hope, not wasting their time on the simple math. They're past that, right? Right. It's hard to imagine a, a, any type of book that is that little children can understand and great sages can spend time on. But that's what this Rashi did. It's like the one and only, where anybody could study it, and everybody does. So it's really very, very fascinating. So who was he? So he was born, I believe, I forgot to write it down, somewhere around 1046. The story goes, his parents married, no children, and uh, someone came, his father was a diamond, either his father was a diamond merchant or he dealt with precious stones as a side business. And someone came, whether it was for an idol, whether it was uh, for the church, not clear. It's a lot of legends behind the story. But the the king came from some faraway country and knew that this rabbi Yitzchak had a priceless stone, whatever, diamond, ruby, sapphire, whatever it was, and he was willing to pay many bags of gold for it. But Rashi's father was not comfortable. He's a very religious man that his, his precious diamond or whatever that stone was should be used in an idol or whatever else it was going to be used for. Right. But he had no choice. They came with guards. It was like, you're going to bring us the diamond and we're going to pay you or we're just going to kill you. Nothing's going to, you, you got to give us that diamond. Wow. So he goes in the boat. And again, different versions, it's a lot of legends. And he starts talking to the officer who went to get him. He says, do you know what this stone looks like? No, no, I have no idea. You've never seen a stone like this. The reason your master, or your king wants this stone is it's to one of a kind. And you'll probably never even see it. Because once they give it to him, they're not going to let you check out that stone. It's it's too important for someone like you to look at. Well, you know psychologically what happens. Oh, can I see it? Oh, I, this is very precious. I don't know if you could see it. No, come on, come on. No. Just, uh, you know, uh, you know. I don't even have to finish the story for you. Right. So he, he takes out the stone carefully, and he goes he's by the edge of the boat so no one should see, and then he makes himself trip, and the stone falls into the water. No more stone. Wow. Now, they're already on the boat. They get to the king. Uh, they explain what happened. The king, of course... He yells at the officer, he yells at this Rabbi Yitzchak for not being so careful. But what are you going to do? The stone is gone. It's in the ocean. I would love to give it to you. I I myself have lost millions or whatever you're going to pay me for it. And he goes home. So again, as legend has it, he lost a diamond. Mm -hmm. He was willing to give up a diamond so as not to give it to an idol. So God says, I'm going to give you a diamond. And he had this special child known as Rashi Mm -hmm. born. Um, A second legend about his birth is when his mother... You probably know these stories, right? You don't know these stories? Whoa. Okay. I'm proud of myself. Got lots of things to teach you today. Anyways, when his mother was pregnant with Rashi, so she was going down a narrow alley, and some wagon was coming the other way, and you can only imagine those alleys were as wide as the wagons, and it was like a runaway train. So she leans against the wall, Mm-hmm. And there's a and, the wall indents. So says the legend. Uh, there was a again all part of legend. There was a famous Rabbi Joseph of Rosheim who dealt with like Charles the, uh, the fifth and other and other people. And, and it seems this happened in Worms. And it seems he gave the emperor a tour and he showed him this indentation in the wall. So, again, so goes legend. And uh, let me give you one last legend. Very very famous one. Um, Rashi lived during the time, I believe, of the First Crusade. So there was a man by the name of Godfrey of Boulogne. B-U-I-L-L-O-N. Billion, Boulogne. Anyway, his name was Gadfrey. He's pretty famous. And um, it seems he went to Rashi and asked him. Rashi was already older at that time. And he said that, um, am I going to be successful? when I take our soldiers of the Crusades and we attack Jerusalem. So Rashi said, you'll be successful at first. You'll conquer Jerusalem. You'll be there for a while. But in the end, you're, you're going to be chased out and you will return to this city with three soldiers. Okay, This Godfrey was not a friend of the Jews, at least in the stories that we know. And everything happens exactly like Rashi said, except that Godfrey has four soldiers with him. Four horsemen coming back into the city. Mm-hmm. So, like all people who lose wars, so you got it wrong. You said I was gonna have three. I have four. Mm-hmm. So his plan was to ride into the city with his four soldiers mm-hmm. and go punish this Rashi. Okay. Well, on the way into the city, a brick fell off one of the walls or the of uh, I guess the gates, and they came in and killed one of the soldiers. And he sees he's in the city with three soldiers. However, he went to go see Rashi. Do you know what happened when he went to see Rashi? I don't know the story. You don't know the story either. Um, Rashi had already passed away. So very, again, these are all legends just, you know, they don't say these legends about me and you. Right. Right. Or even Esti, right? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Anyways, so Rashi wrote this famous commentary on the Torah. He also wrote a commentary on almost the whole Talmud. We're missing some of it. He was very humble he, he would write, like, write notes. He would study in different uh, study halls and listen to the questions and uh, make a notebook and leave the answers around and people would look at them and check it out. And he had a few versions he went through until he was finally ready to print it. And uh, so Rashi is someone who is, of course, most important. But now we have to answer the question. The question is, who is this person, this so-says-Rabbi Yitzchak, that Rashi quotes in the very first Rashi? It's his father. Very good. Excellent. You were paying attention. You are excellent. I am proud. Yes, the answer is that famous Rabbi Yitzchak is his father. Again, according to some, his father may not have been that learned, but Rashi wanted an opportunity to honor his father. So somehow he must have gotten his father to say over this piece of uh, Midrash and now Rashi could say my father told me he didn't say his father he said so says Rabbi Yitzchak so that becomes a I told it over to people this week they enjoy the part that a son would try so hard to honor his father daughter also could but uh, certainly a son who you know forever everybody reads this first Rashi and this is what they find out you're all good with this yeah we're good cool very good okay but now I want to get into a second answer. That's all, Rashi. I thought it was important to talk about Rashi a little bit. There's really a second answer, or maybe a continuation, a continuation answer, okay? And that continuation answer is that there's a lot of things happening in the Bible. Certainly in the first book, we have the world created, we have Adam and Eve, we have Adam and Eve eating the fruit that they weren't allowed to eat, Right? Mm-hmm. From the Tree of Knowledge, we have Noah in the Flood, right. we have Abraham and the Ten Tests. So, a later commentary mm-hmm. by the neighbor of Benu Bachia, he sort of continues from where Rashi left off. And he says, this idea that God tells his, shows his strength to the nations, was for another purpose. And that's, you got no a little philosophy for this. You ready to learn some philosophy? You don't even know what philosophy is. I can tell. Philosophers not that, I, I don't know about, I know me, I'm not into philosophy. I never Neither s- am I. I actually had a friend who was a philosopher. Mm-hmm. It's hard to talk to. Yeah, yeah, I think they know everything, right? Yeah, they just have a different thought process. But in any case, we're, okay. we were good friends. Okay. And I see him once every four or five years when okay. he comes to visit. Mm-hmm. So philosophers believe that, I guess, if they believe there's a God, first of all, that God can't talk to you. It's impossible for a God, the way a philosopher understands a God, that a God cannot talk to a person. So if a God can't talk to a person, uh, he's not really interested, such a God, in this world. He may have set the world in motion but could care less. He won't talk to you. If he can't talk to you, he can't tell you what he wants. If, he can't tell you, if, he, if that God can't tell you what he wants, well, then he can't punish you or reward you because he didn't tell you anything. Right. But we... Uh, I guess pretty much everybody, Um, if you believe in the Torah, you believe in God, the beginning of the Torah is teaching you that that philosophy is completely incorrect. God talks to people. He told Adam, don't eat from the tree. Right? Right. He gave him six laws. There's seven Noahide laws. The people didn't listen to the laws. So, uh, okay, Adam is punished. He has to leave the Garden of Eden. Uh, the, the generation of the flood is punished because they're not listening to God, so they're going to drown. is righteous. He's going to be rewarded. And God speaks to Noah and what? says, build the ark. Mm-hmm. And the same with Abraham. And God speaks to Abraham, and Abraham passes the test, so God promises Abraham rewards. So it comes out that the whole beginning of the Torah serves a very, very important purpose. You following? That that purpose is... We need to know that God talks to people. Once we know God talks to people, he can tell us what to do. If he tells what to do, there can be reward and punishment. And if God is talking to us, and if there's reward and punishment, then God is actually paying attention and cares what's happening in this world. And all of that um, is encompassed certainly in, uh, in, 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 this, in the first book of the Torah, in Genesis because it's the only way uh, if we wouldn't have it written down as a written Torah even if it would be in the oral law we, we wouldn't have a good feeling for this I could tell you this but I can't really prove it to you but if it's written everybody believes what's written usually we like things that are written down yeah, usually. usually we like things that are written down so so therefore specifically oh, I'll say more than on purpose God wanted all, the, all this information to be clearly written down, and by it all being clearly written down, so now we have all these things to learn. Again, it's just so important. It's worth repeating. God talks to people, the prophets, right? Adam, Noah, Abraham, others throughout history. Um, there's reward and punishment. God watches the world. He cares about the world. And again, also teaches, of course, that the world uh, was created and this is way too philosophical, and that is that the world was created from nothing. There was just God, and he created the world. And um, I, 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 so interesting, I, I saw this next statement somewhere, and I couldn't remember where I saw it from. So I said it over, and my son-in-law remembered who actually said it. And that is, think about this for a second. You ready? A little mm-hmm. deep. Okay, but easy. Someone famous, actually the Kotzker Rebbe, that was his name, but he was known as the Kutzker said, why would I want a God that I fully understand everything he says and does? And as if me and God are on the same level and I get everything he wants and there's nothing beyond my comprehension, that's not the God I want. Right? Right? I need a God that is so far and above anything I can imagine or think and anything my thought process uh, comes out with, that's a God. Right? But someone that's that we're having a conversation, that's not God. So that really leads us in, by the way, to the beginning, really, of this Torah portion. That is what was created on each day, but really, as I was talking to Leonard earlier, we don't really get it. Again, the purpose is that there was a creation, and God talks to man, and God cares, and he rewards, and he punishes, but we don't really get the ins and outs. We can, and we're not supposed to really get it. It serves its purpose. There's messages. There's lessons, which we'll talk about. Some of them, whatever we can touch on today. But, it's, uh, but I was even teaching this weekend. There are things about God we can't understand. That's not for me and you. And there's ways God acts, How what God does. Those things, how he creates a world, how he lets the world run, what he wants me to understand from the world running, that part I could get. And the part that I could get, that's not supposed to work on. You're all good with this? Because you were smiling, I don't know if you were thinking about something. You weren't thinking about anything. Okay, <laughs> Esti, what was created on the first day? If you don't know, I'm asking Leonard, and I don't want it to be nervous. Darkness and light. Darkness and light. Very good. Anything else? No. Before you told me, in the beginning, Hashem created. God created. God created heaven and earth. Didn't you tell me that before? Yeah. But now you're me just light and darkness, right? Right. So are you changing your mind? No. No, so let's try again. What did God create on the first day? <laughs> light and darkness. Light and dark. And what about heaven and earth? Heaven and earth was the second day. Okay, She's so smart. I can't can't get anything by her. You are very good. I have to tell you the truth. This is really very debatable. There are those who say that heaven and earth were also created on the first day. And there are those who say no. It's like a headline. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Now here's what gets involved in heaven and earth. First day, light and darkness. Second day, heaven and earth. So some do say like you. So I'm actually pretty impressed that you didn't uh, back down when I asked you two times. So that's impressive. But uh, in any case, whichever way it was, the verse at least says that heaven and earth were created and, and uh, light and darkness. Now, interesting to think about, the, what day does the sun and moon come up? When do we hear about the sun and the moon? What What day? of this of the six days of creation, which day was the sun and moon put in the right spot? Um, the fourth. Good, very good. Fourth day. So how do you know it was how do you know it was day and night? There's no sun or moon yet. You never thought about that, huh, Lenard, You never thought about that. Never thought about. that. these things are really hard questions. Right. So one thing is for sure: the the, the verse says that on day four. We have the sun and the moon and the whole concept of day and night, months, um, all this different stuff is all created, is all set up on day four. Mm-hmm. And there are actually those who want to say, which I will disagree with them, of course, vehemently, that's a good word. Um, that the first few days didn't, weren't 24-hour days. They could have been 100 million years each day. The only problem is, the verse doesn't say that. It says... It was evening, it was morning, day one. It was evening, it was morning, day two, it was evening, it was morning. So there were 24 hour days. Well, one of the things that Hashem had to create also on the first day is time. And as a spiritual being is is be is above time. Time does not affect a spiritual being. That's why there's all these stories, again, a different time we'll talk about it, where they have these people that officially were clinically dead. And then they come back alive. You ever hear any of these interviews? Oh, yeah. Most definitely. So, they, so these people, as when, they're, when, there's a, when their soul is separated from their body, they can come back and tell the doctors what everybody was talking about. Right. So the doctors say, yeah, big deal. You're subconscious. So they say, no, I can tell you what was on the seventh floor outside the window, even though the operating room is on the first floor. It's a pair of green sneakers. And they oh. went and checked. hmm And he says, and I can tell you that this person was in a car crash, you know, 10 miles away and was brought to the hospital. All kinds of stuff that a a person couldn't know. But the soul is not bound by time. So there's no beginning and end. Again, it's a little philosophical. We're not going to make ourselves nervous about it. But time was created. Imagine, Leonard, if there was no time. I could talk here forever. Right. I mean, we just wouldn't end. <laughs> but there is time, so there we will end. Time, yes. You're okay Think with that if time. we end at some time, Esther? We're not going to stay here all day, right? Right. Right, okay, I got another answer. Very good, okay. So there was a different light that was created. There's a fascinating spiritual light that existed the first day. Do you know anything, Esther, about this special light? Okay. This was a light that you could see all over the world. You could see everywhere. again. We know you can only see whatever it is, 180 yards or something, and then the curvature of the world, you can't see. This light was different. It actually says babies in a mother's stomach, the Talmud says, have this light. And they could see around the world. Its purpose being, do you know what the purpose of this light was? No. Boy, am I teaching you a lot of stuff. Wait till you get back to school. The purpose of this light was so you could observe good deeds around the world which is a great idea. Let me see how that rabbi um, studies. Let me see how that person does this good deed. Let me see how that person brings guests into their house. So a lot to learn from yeah, other but people. no one was alive. Not yet. The world was created to be, which is an interesting question, by the way, as you think about this. Was, was man created before the trees and the water? and no. the? If he would have been, it would have been pretty like nothing, right? Like, what's he supposed to do? Nothing is set up. So God set it up that when Adam, when man was created, the world was ready for him. So everything has to be in place first, and then, and then, Hashem, God, will create man. Make sense to you or not? Yeah. Makes sense. Excellent. However, God said, you know, there was a purpose to this light. But God said that, you know what else you could do with this light? You know what else you could do? Yeah. You could observe a famous bank robber and see what he did. Oh. He did this, he did that, that didn't work. I'll be better next time, I'll do this. He committed this crime. So the same light has good and bad purposes. So God took that light and he put it away for the future. When the Messiah comes, when there will be good, we'll be able to learn from people, be able to learn stuff, then the light will serve a purpose. But at this point, that light's not going to serve much of a purpose. Okay, that's all the first day. What happens... Um, next. Okay, we talked about all this. Talked about even Darwin's theory a little bit. Not really a theory. Okay. Day two. What happened on day two, Esty? Day two. What was created on the second day? Oh. You told me before. Land. Land and? Sky. Land and sky. Okay, heaven and earth. Heaven really, interesting enough, according to many, heaven doesn't mean where the angels hang out. It could mean that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times heaven means where the stars, the sun, the moon are also. Right. What we call the sky. Right. There's really two different parts. There may be many heavens. So yes, on the second day, first of all, the heavens and earth were separated. Right? right. right. And even the land itself, which was fully covered by water, the water is separated and we have land mass. Right? And we even have the sand was sort of given that command uh, to not let the water get by. So we have our oceans and lakes and seas and rivers. So that's the water down here. We have our land. We have our water. And then we have the heaven. So interesting, according to the Talmud, there was an interesting conversation. There's water in the heaven and there's water on earth. So the water on earth said, it's not fair. How come some water gets to be up with God? God. And we have to stay down here. Not fear. So you know how we fix that? No. Boy, am I teaching a lot of stuff today. Anyways, interesting enough, every sacrifice that is brought needs to have some salt put on it. Did you know that? No. You do now. Okay. Where do you get the salt from? Well, there's two places you can get salt. But one of the places you can get salt from is from the ocean. Do you know how you get salt from the ocean? You want to guess? You have to go to the ocean. And, and and I go to the ocean and now what? I just, I, I take a cup and I get salt. How do I get salt? Mm-hmm. No idea. So now I have to teach you science also. If you, if you evaporate the water as if you collect that water, people do it on the beach. They make like holes. When you go to the beach, you dig holes and the water comes in, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you let that water evaporate, you're left with salt. I mean, minerals and stuff, but salt. So, the, the water was placated by being told that there will always be salt on every single on every single sacrifice. Everybody's happy. Day two. We're good with day two? Oh, yeah. well, we're good with day two. Let's move on. Um, on day three, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Day three is when the land and the water was separated. Not day two. Day two, just the upper and lower waters were separated. Day three, the water was separated from the land. Sorry for that mistake. You didn't correct me. It's okay. Um, And then there was grass and trees and all kinds of growth all over the world, right? Okay, good. That's day three. Nothing so exciting. Day four is what we talked about earlier. The sun and the moon and the stars are all put in their proper place. Um, It gives us a concept of days, of weeks. Well, weeks is just a calendar thing, but months, because every time the moon um, goes through its cycle, we have a new month, Um, years, and that's going to be dependent on the... Well, on the earth going around the sun, but that's not what people thought. But they understood even then, that just from where the sun was set up, that there was a yearly pattern. Mm-hmm. And that's all set up on day four. Day five, what's on day five? The birds and the fish. Good, the birds and the fish. Very good. And the birds and fish receive a blessing. Do you know what blessing they received? No. Oh, See, so when you shake your head, we can't hear you. The, the blessing Leonard, mm-hmm. what blessing did the fish and the birds get on day five? I'm not sure. Okay, be fruitful and multiply. Okay. See? Which is why, interesting, there are people that have a custom. They want to get married on the day that God gave that blessing to be fruitful and multiply. So people have such a custom, which—okay, so day five in the week is, uh, is Thursday. Whether it's late Wednesday evening or, or, or Thursday afternoon before it gets dark, but people like to get married and have that good sign on a Thursday. On a Thursday. Okay. We're all good with it so far. Yeah. We are moving along quite nicely. And of course, what happens on the sixth day? Sixth day was such a packed day. The, what happens? The animals. Animals. And. I don't yeah, Adam and Chava. Adam and Eva are created on that day. So now everything's been created. Mm-hmm. Now it's time for man to show up. And it's like a double lesson. In other words, if you're deserving, then look at this whole world that was created in six days just for you. Right? While if you're not so deserving, don't forget that you know bugs were created before you also. Yeah, you know You're not so special. Unless you're deserving to be special. Sounds good? Yeah. Excellent. Okay, very good. So, pretty much we've gone through so far, just a teeny part of last week's Torah portion. We talked about, well, I can even get into my wrap-up earlier. I'm not really ready for my wrap-up, but I have other things I want to get into. But, you know, I lost out the last few weeks. So, one second. Did you learn anything today? Yes. Okay, tell me one thing you learned. About... Rabbi Yitzchak. Very good. That Rabbi Yitzchak was who? Rashi's father. Was Rashi's father. Excellent. Leonard, what did we learn today? I learned that on a Thursday, people like to get married because it will mean that you become fruitful and multiply. Bernard, they want that blessing, of fruitful and multiply. Right. Jake, do you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Okay, a little low over there. Did you... <laughs> I don't know if you're able to pay attention. You're pretty busy. Did you learn anything today? Uh, same thing as Lennard, Um, about the Thursday marriage and stuff. Cool. Um, and I'll be honest, I like the word that you use. It's fruitful. Not many people use it. I like that word. What word did they use? Fruitful. No, that's what I use. What do people use? I don't know. I just, I've never heard really someone use the word fruitful, so I'm just saying I like it. Yeah, so I'll tell you why. It's a, it's a Hebrew. The Hebrew word for fruit is peri. Okay. Peri. Okay. A peri is a fruit. And the, the language in the verse is peru, which means they should be fruitful to, I guess, multiply like fruit. Okay, you like that word. That's, yeah. That is good to know. I appreciate that you, uh, you caught on to that point. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take that. I'm going to start saying that. Not gonna lie. That works for me. Okay. Right. We have time which is unusual usually for me, but we're going to move on with uh, some other important things. So we're, almost everyone should be familiar that um, Hashem, God creates Adam and Chava or Adam and Eve and they're in the Garden of Eden and they really have only one command, only one mitzvah, only one thing to do. They're They're in paradise and they have one job. What is that one job, Estee? One command, one mitzvah. What can't they do? I don't know. You do know. Come on. They can't eat. They can't eat something. What can't they eat? Not closer food. Well, yeah, but there's only fruit. You know, by the way, by the way. Uh, oh, they can't eat the, like, one tree? Right. Do you know the name of that tree? Not what kind of fruit it was. The it alive? So interesting, there's two trees. Okay. The second tree is the tree of life. Okay. Which it would seem, since they were supposed to live forever, there would be no, no reason to eat from that tree. Right. There's another tree. What's that other tree? The Eitz? Ha- huh? Ha? Very good. Not Hadassim. Eitz Hadass. <laughs> Eitz Hadass means the tree of knowledge. So there's two trees. There's the tree of knowledge and there's the tree of life. So as long as you're living forever, which was the original plan, so as long as you're living forever, so um, you don't need a tree of life. But when they get punished, when they eat from the tree of knowledge, so now they're not going to live forever. So now God has to be worried they're going to eat from the tree of of life, so therefore they uh, get exiled, they get thrown out of the Garden of Eden. Right? We're familiar with this? Again, Eden. Okay. Now. So again, we're, for the most part, we're pretty familiar with that story, yes? Yeah. Okay. So what happens is that the snake comes along. Mm-hmm. The snake could talk, couldn't talk, sounds like it could talk, sounds like the snake had legs. And the snake goes to Eve, to Chava, and says, So what God tell you? starts having conversations with her. And in the conversation, she says, I'm not allowed to touch this tree. Mm-hmm. This tree is off limits. Now, God just said, don't eat it. She but. said, don't touch it. Really, it seems her husband, Adam, said, don't touch it. You figure if you say don't touch, you for sure won't eat. But she a little bit either misunderstood or wanted to misunderstand. Right. And in any case, um, the snake pushed her into the tree and says, see, it's not so bad. You could touch it. You know why God doesn't want you to eat from that tree? Do you know what, she, what he answered? You know why God doesn't want you to eat from that tree? No. Any idea? Well, because I guess uh, the serpent said that I guess he didn't want the knowledge or you didn't want to be as powerful as God. A very good, Leonard. Yes. Very good. Yeah. In other words, the snake told Chava or Eve, if you mm-hmm. eat from that tree, you'll be like God. Right, exactly. And God doesn't want you to be like him. Right. Which, again, the whole thing is silly. Right? God created that tree, but right. she doesn't know this. She doesn't understand this. Right. So she eats. Right. Because it's enticing. She eats from that. Mm-hmm. And uh, then she gives her husband. So again, this is very debatable why he also ate, or how he allowed himself to be convinced to eat. Do you know what the fruit was, Esty? No idea. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Do you remember? Ben somehow knew, at least in the Talmud, the Talmud says it wasn't an apple. I'm sorry, the Talmud doesn't say it wasn't an apple. The Talmud just gives other examples. Maybe it was grapes. Perhaps it was figs because that's the tree that gives them leaves when they realize they have no clothes. So that's the tree they take leaves from to, to, cover, to themselves. cover themselves. Right. And others say it's wheat, even though wheat is not really a tree. However, it seems wheat, in certain ways, wheat gets qualified as a tree. I don't know all the reasons why. But what's interesting is wheat, the Talmud says, children don't really start talking till they eat grains, it seems they have to eat a grain. So says the Talmud. Okay. So now God comes down and says, Okay, we, uh, we, we've we we made a mistake over here. Mm-hmm. And first God goes to Adam, to Adam, and says, What happened? And you know, Adam gives a terrible answer. Do you know what he says? No. Uh, she told me to eat of the tree. See, very good. Right. So what was it? The first thing he did was... He blamed his wife. Right. And he could have easily said, I made a mistake. Right. You know what? I blew it. Right. Right? He didn't own up. Right. And he actually showed a lack of gratitude. So Adam has his punishments that God gives him. Then he goes to Chava, to Eve, and says, Why would you eat? She blames the snake. Again, no one's good at taking responsibility. And interesting enough, nobody asked the snake... How come you told him to do it? Well, the snake wasn't even around. I mean, by that time. Where was he? You you think he slithered away? Right, yeah. No, no, the snake is there because the verse says that Mm -hmm. God punishes the snake right away. The reason why there's no conversation between God and the snake Mm -hmm. is a very interesting rule in the Talmud. Anyone who does anything wrong, we bring the person to court, the person has a right to defend himself, to say what's going on. However, people that cause other people to sin, we don't give them any excuses. We look for ways to just uh, take care of them right away. As we have a big problem, we all do things wrong. No one is perfect. That We're not, we're not saying anybody is perfect. Mm-hmm. I make mistakes. I got to own up to my mistakes. That was what the High Holidays was just about. But if I try to convince others to sin, now we have a problem. Those are the people I have to worry about. Right. So therefore, the snake caused Adam and Chavah, Adam and Eve to sin. Therefore, he doesn't get an answer because he actually had the best answer. He could have said, said, God, come on. You said don't eat. Mm-hmm. I said yes, eat. What are you listening to me for? Right. Why are you listening to some lowly snake? Right. You said not to. I said yes. Who cares what I said? Right. So the snake had the best answer, but the snake was not entitled to a defense because he caused others to sin. Right. So what I wanted to talk about is what is the snake's punishment? So he has two basic punishments. Well, maybe three. Do you know any? Um, he doesn't have heads and legs. Okay, He doesn't have legs. It seems they had some type of legs then. Yes, that's one. And he eats dust. He eats dirt. That's what I want to talk about. And one more, by the way. Well, if you don't have legs, then you need to slither. So he can't walk, he eats dirt, and one more. I don't know. Yeah, how could you not know? Get cast away to hell, maybe? It no. doesn't say that. I'm talking about what the verse says. Okay. And he I don't know if he has a soul to be you know, right. thrown in hell, okay. but um, it says ladies hate snakes. They want to step on them and kill them. Okay. Except I'm not sure in my house, because we have snakes in my house. You like snakes? No. Okay, so there you have it. I want to talk about this idea that the snake eats dirt. Is that really a curse? I mean, I know whatever you had for breakfast or lunch or supper, so we like to enjoy our food. Anything he eats tastes like dirt? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Either he eats actual dirt or anything he eats tastes like dirt. Both possibilities are correct. Mm -hmm. But that means he has food everywhere. So... uh, uh, if we had food wherever we went, we're not starving anymore, maybe it's not the most delicious, maybe it doesn't look so good, but we we would all have food, no more starvation, no more spending, who knows what, and if everything tastes like dirt, then I don't eat my restaurants anymore, which might make the restaurant owners unhappy right exactly so why why is that a curse? I guess it's a curse because um you made the couple sin against God. Right, but, but I just gave you a lifetime food supply without any hard work. Maybe it's not the best tasting right. food supply. I'll agree with that. Mm-hmm. But I have given you a lifetime of food with no effort. And most of what we do and work is, at the end of the day, is to put food on the table. Right. So if my life is to put food on the table, so what, what, what's the curse? I don't know. You ever hear this question? It's a very famous question. So they give a parable to answer this question. You ready? Okay, the parable goes as follows. There was a king whose son rebelled. And eventually the son was caught and the son was brought in front of the king. And the king says, okay, here's your punishment. You're going to be banished to, I don't know, to an island. Um, You'll always have food. You'll always have a place to live. You'll always have clothes. You'll always be taken care of. And I'll never see you or speak to you again. End of the sentence. Does that sound so bad to you? No. Doesn't sound so bad to you. Doesn't sound bad to Lennart either. No, not exactly. No. So now you got to think about it. Now let's think. Ready? Okay. Ready to think? Okay, here we go. So as the son is being led away, so one of the ministers said, that doesn't sound too bad to me. So the son turns to him and says, you fool. My punishment is that I can never, ever talk to my father again. My father has arranged, I have everything I need. I can never, ever talk to him. He doesn't want to talk to me. He will never talk to me. So, this snake's punishment is God says, I never, ever want you to pray to me. I never want you to talk to me. You have no needs, you are done. We want a connection together. A pair, children want a connection to their parents, right? right? Exactly. Okay. The last thing any parent or child wants is to be told you can't talk to me. What do you mean I can't talk to you? You're, right. you're, you're my father. You're my mother. What do you mean I can't talk to you? Of course I can talk to you. Mm-hmm. I could, I could do the worst thing in the world. I could turn around and come back and beg forgiveness, because you're my parents. You have to talk to me. Makes sense. Yeah. So this snake was put in, into a position. Where, he, where God, he doesn't need anything, therefore he no longer can talk to God. That is the worst punishment a person could ever receive. Adam, Eve, Adam, and Chavah, they're getting punishments. They're going to work hard. Life's not going to be so pleasant. But they can talk to God whenever they want, which is our concept of prayer, oh, by the I day. think I know the, the, the last thing, that they can't talk. Um, perhaps something is that they can't talk, Perhaps. But it doesn't say that in the Pussic. The verse doesn't say they can't talk. That's not my my focus. My focus is that the curse of the snake is a very different kind of curse. It's a curse that says, I never, ever want to talk to you again. I don't want you to talk to me, God says to the snake. You're not going to talk to me. I, you don't need anything. I've taken care of everything. There's no purpose in your prayers. While we look at our world and say, we want to build a relationship with God. We want to go ahead and be able to talk to God. And to not be able to talk to God is really a tragedy. And that's something to think about. Yes, well, Ben's not here, but uh, I do want to thank Leonard. I want to thank Jake for all your help today. You're Hopefully welcome. Ben will be back because he's going to help us get some music for our intros and our, uh, and our outtakes, if that's what we call them. So, again, I'd like to thank my sponsors. I'd like to thank all my listeners. I couldn't do it without you. And, again, I'd like to thank Leonard for uh, being inside today and Jake um, behind the glass. Until next week, I am Rabbi C. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on new radio media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.